happy birthday, both of you. Right, before getting into uh, uh, the word this morning, I just want to take a few minutes to help us to think about how we might pray for what's happening this week with a general election coming up. It's an important week, and it is important those of us who are Christians pray into what's happening. Uh, but there are some real problems for us as we uh, come into this week, into election week. The first problem is just the degree of boredom and cynicism that so many are now experiencing. It was interesting that only 4 million people tuned in to watch the leaders' debate on Friday. What's that, about 6% of, 7% of the UK's population, which I think just shows that by and large, most people think they've heard enough and had enough and don't want to hear anymore and have anymore, just get the thing done. And so that boredom and cynicism is a real issue, and it is an issue, it can be a problem. Second problem, which I think is the, is the bigger one really, is that uh, this election in particular in the last three years, generally, gen- generally, there's just been such a significant degree of division and aggression and just plain nastiness in so much of the debate and the comment which has been made. And Jesus would speak to those of us who are Christians very severely about this. Matthew 5:22, Jesus said, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, that's a kind of a libelous term, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. This is actually one of the most severe warnings that Jesus gave. And in our current political debates, there's been far too much of people calling other people raka, calling other people fool. And even amongst Christians at times, we've seen that. Now, as citizens of the kingdom of God, as well as those who are citizens of the UK, we really need to do better than just to fall into worldly terms of comment. So I want to give you four pointers which I think might be helpful in thinking about how we can pray for this Thursday. The first thing is to be thankful. Uh, Elections play on all the things that we are dissatisfied with, and it's easy to be dissatisfied, and it's easy for us, each one of us, to draw up a list of all the things we are dissatisfied about in the UK, and there are lots of things to be dissatisfied about. That's true. But there is also a huge amount to be thankful for. Many parts of the world we could be dropped into this morning and we would scurry back to the UK as fast as we could. Dropped into Venezuela, where the population is being reduced essentially to famine, you'd want to be back here. Dropped into Afghanistan, where it's still in complete chaos, you'd want to be back here. Dropped into Nepal, where people are living in real poverty and where Christians are under real pressure, you'd want to be back here. And uh, there's so much of what we describe as common grace, those things which God blesses us with, which are different from his saving grace where he meets with us and we get to know Jesus, but just stuff we're blessed with. And the evidence of those things is all around us this morning, the fact that there are roads. It's a miracle. We complain about the potholes in the roads, but we don't have to drag ourselves through the mud to get to church. That's amazing. The fact that there's central heating. The bills are too high, but wow, there's central heating. We've got so much actually to be thankful for. And really significantly with this is what it does to us, that we'll be very different people if we're people who are shaped by complaint or if we're people who are shaped by thankfulness. People who are shaped by complaint tend to end up not being very nice people to be with. Complaining people are generally miserable people and miserable to be with. People who are thankful tend to be generous and are much more fun to be with. This is what the scripture says, Colossians 4.2. Devote yourselves to prayer. 
Well, we've been doing that the last term, and we want to do it more and more. Be watchful. That means that be watchful, be alert, be aware of what's happening in the world, be aware of what's happening political, politically. But this is the killer, the kicker. Be thankful. So our shape as Christians primarily should be one of gratitude to God. Thank you, Jesus, you have allowed me to know you. And thank you for all the other blessings which I have received. So we need to start from a place of thankfulness. Second thing which might help us, though, is that we should be broad in the things that we mourn, the things that we grieve over, the things that we lament. And when it comes to the things that we grieve over, we all have our own particular areas of concern according to our personalities and histories and politics. Uh, But as Christians, those of us who are Christians, really we should have broader concerns than ones which are held within particular party manifestos. As Christians, we should be concerned about the moral issues, things like abortion and euthanasia, and we should be concerned about economic issues and how that affects the poor and those the most vulnerable in our society. And we should be concerned about global issues because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven and we serve the Lord of all nations. We should care about the local, what happens in BCP, and we should care about what happens nationally, and we should care about the international. And all those things will shape the ways that we think and the ways that we vote. But we should be unsurprised if there's no particular party which matches the breadth of our concerns. That's, I think, always been the case for me, that when I've come to vote, there's never been a party where I've and being able to 100% endorse because the breadth of my concerns, the breadth of my laments are actually broader than those of any political party. And that's exactly what we should expect. Peter writes to the church, to God's elect exiles. Those of us who are Christians, we're exiles, we're strangers, we're aliens in the earth. We have a different value system. We belong to a different kingdom. And so we should expect for our concerns to be different and broader than those of any particular political party. The third thing that might help us is that we should be generous. Peter writes in his epistle, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now we're going to be looking at First Peter next year, but this is an amazing thing that Peter writes. When Peter wrote this, show proper respect to everyone, honor the emperor, he was writing in a context where social and political conditions were infinitely more challenging than those in which we experience. Where most people would have lived in what to us would look like abject poverty, where Nero was emperor where there was no democracy, where slavery was a daily lived reality for a huge proportion of the population. And Peter writes, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. The reality is that as citizens of the kingdom of God, we just don't have the liberty to be worldly in how we speak about other people. We're called to show respect to everyone, whether you're appalled at the prospect of a Johnson government or whether you're terrified at the prospect of a Corbyn government, you just don't have the liberty, if you're a Christian, to speak in a way which is calling down curses upon them or their supporters. Think about what Jesus taught us, the radical teaching of Jesus, Matthew 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, or the Lord's Prayer where 
Our forgiveness seems to be conditional on how we forgive others, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. On Friday morning, if you wake up miserable because of whatever the result has been, those might be important things for you to lay hold of and pray into. And then the final thing is that we should remember who we are. We are citizens of the UK, but if you're a Christian, you're also a citizen of the kingdom of God. And this means as citizens of the UK, it's good to be informed, it's good to listen to the debates, it's good to ask questions, and it is good to vote. But we shouldn't, we mustn't confuse politics and the gospel. What happens this Thursday is important. Actually, this election is probably more important than has been the case for a number of elections because there is such a big difference between the parties. It wasn't that long ago at general elections people were saying there isn't really much difference between any of them. Their manifestos are all pretty much the same. That's definitely not the case this week, which means this election is more important than some previous elections have been. But as important as it is, it is not ultimate. This is what Scripture says. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. The reality is that whether it's Corbyn who wins or Johnson who wins on Thursday, they will be in power for the blink of an eye, whereas we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And because of that, we're called to be thankful. We're called to worship God with reverence and awe. And so a good thing for us to think about as we approach this week is how much time we're spending praying, reading our Bibles, and witnessing to others about the truth of Jesus Christ compared to how much time we're spending watching the news, searching the internet, and, uh, and agonizing over what might happen politically. This election is really important, but it's not ultimate. We can vote, and I would urge you, do vote. Don't give in to the cynicism and boredom. Get out and vote on Thursday. Do it. But we can also pray. We should do both. We should vote and we should pray. And so let's pray now. The psalm that, uh, did you read Psalm 49 at the beginning? The psalm we read at the beginning is so helpful. I found it so helpful in praying into the events of this week. Let's read some of those verses again. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep and are destined to die. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Now I pray, Lord, that we would have an appropriate humility as we approach this week. We'd recognize actually that those who trust themselves are doomed to destruction. And we recognize also the systems of this world are temporary and they are limited. And while they are important, and what happens this week will have really significant impact upon people, and is therefore it's, uh, it really matters. So we recognise that also you are sovereign over all of this, and that whatever happens, whoever's in charge on Friday morning, ultimately you're in charge. You are the King. You are Lord, and we belong to your kingdom, and that can give us confidence that. Uh, Whatever our perspectives and whatever happens, we don't need to be overly joyous or overly despairing because we can look to you and we can trust you that you're sovereign, you're Lord, and you will do what brings glory to your name. We can be confident that you will redeem us. You have redeemed us from the realm of the dead, and our place in you is safe and secure. So I pray that we would go and vote on Thursday with 
confidence and a clear conscience, and we'd trust you, whatever happens, and we'd proclaim you, King Jesus, to the world around us. In your name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's uh, get into today's message. We're uh, dipping back into our series this week based on Tim Jester's book, Enjoying God. And uh, this morning our theme is that in one another we can enjoy God's love. We spent most of the term in the theme of prayer, but we've been dipping in and out of this book and this series. And the extraordinary claim of Christianity is that God can be known, God can be related to, God can be enjoyed. God is enjoyable. That's good news. Now, for those of us who know Jesus this morning, this is good news for us to be reminded. God is enjoyable. For those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, this is the amazing invitation offered to you today. You can know a God who is enjoyable to know. Wow. And the way that we enjoy God, today's theme, is in one another. Now, that's amazing when you think how annoying people can be at times. But the way that you can most enjoy God is through other people. It's through people that we get to experience God's love. This is what Tim Chester says. The Christian community is the main context where you experience divine joy. Now that is quite a claim. He's saying, if you want to be happy, be part of a church. Now, some of you are going to need convincing about that, but actually for many of us, we don't need convincing at all because actually this has been our experience, that for all the bumps and all the difficulties and for the hassles that come along, actually being part of a community like this is where I have found joy in the Lord. And so I don't need convincing of this, and I know that many of you don't either. This is what Scripture says, 1 John 1, verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our, or your, and I'll come back to that in a moment. We write this to make our joy complete. What the Apostle John is describing here is a virtuous circle of love and joy that goes round and round. The more John says, we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The more fellowship there is with God and with one another, and the more fellowship there is with God and with one another, the more joy there is. And the more joy there is, the more the gospel is proclaimed. And the more the gospel is proclaimed, the more fellowship there is. And the more fellowship there is, the more joy there is. And on and on it goes. John is known as the apostle of love because of the way he writes his letters. John loves Jesus. He loves people. And he experiences love as well. And this results in John proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that results in more people coming into fellowship with Jesus Christ. I read this week somebody saying, if evangelism doesn't exist, it's because worship doesn't. What that's saying is that if the people of God are not worshiping, not delighting in God, then it's no surprise if other people aren't looking to God themselves. Why would anybody want to join a miserable group of people? If the people of God aren't enjoying the love of God, why would anybody else want to come and join them? But if the people of God are worshiping God, delighting in God, experiencing his love, experiencing his joy, then yes, others will want to come and experience that too. The more we delight in God, the more we'll draw others to God. 
And this means that we need to put ourselves in the position where we can experience God's love. And this is something that we have to do together. So, first thing, divine joy is made complete in the Christian community. You know, you just can't be happy without other people. Sure, there are things which you can do on your own. There are times when you're on your own when you can experience real happiness. But you need to be in community with others to experience ongoing joy. Actually, in our society, one of the issues, one of the issues thinking politically is the problem of loneliness. It's an issue in our area with lots of older people who are on their own. The issue of loneliness is really severe. If you're on your own, if you're out of community, that's a place of agony. That's why kind of the worst sanction we could administer to people legally is to put them into solitary confinement. That's a terrible punishment. To be entirely on your own is misery. We human beings, we're made to be in community. We need friendship. Sometimes people say about themselves, I'm a real people person. The reality is that everyone is a people person. You are a people person because we're all people and we all need persons. It's just how it is. Every one of us is a people person. We have to be. It's how we're made. We all need other people. Now, if you think about this, just practically, think about the best moments. Pick out three or four moments from the past year, 2019. If you can think of three or four things, which is when you were really happy. Maybe you're going to do a photo album. This is something that we do in my house. I used to do it. Nancy's now taking responsibility. Where, because everything's digital now, you just tend to lose photos. So each year we get a photo album printed up of things we've done over the year. And if you're Think about three or four things that you'd put in a photo album, happy moments of the year. I bet that most of those, perhaps none of them, is just a picture of you. I bet it involves other people because it's when we're with others that we experience joy. Actually, this is the irony of the selfie, that we do turn the camera towards ourselves so often. There's millions and millions of selfies being taken every day, but actually where you find joy, where you find happiness, is by turning the camera around and being with other people. That's where you find your joy, with other people, through other people. And that's true spiritually. The best moments we have with God generally happen with or through other people. Now, we, can know, we should know the presence of God when we're on our own, but we need community, we need friends, we need preaching, we need singing, we need praying, we need sharing, we need helping, we need talking, we need serving. We just do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian murdered by the Nazis, said this, In themselves, Christians are destitute and dead. Help must come from the outside, and it has come and comes daily and anew in the word of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is that you've got the Bible, and every day the word of Jesus can be spoken to you through the Bible, yes. But God put his word into the mouth of human beings so that it may be passed on to others. Therefore, Christians need other Christians who speak God's words to them. Yes, we do. You do. I do. They need them again and again when they become uncertain and disheartened because living by their own resources, they cannot help themselves. It's true. We need other people. Living on your own resources, you just, there's not enough of you. We need other Christians again and again to help us when we become uncertain, when we get disheartened. We just do. You can't do it on your own. 
This has been my experience again and again. Now, I'm grateful to the Lord for times when I've been in the quiet place, and I've been on my own, and I've had profound encounters with him through his word and by the Spirit. But it's been immersion in community that has sustained me in my Christian life and my experience of the reality of the presence of God. Last uh, Sunday, I was preaching up in Ealing. Martin drove me up, which I was grateful for, because it meant I didn't have to focus on that as well. And and it was great to be up there, but we didn't get home to 5.30, and then there was the worship evening at 7. And I tell you, when it got to 6.30, I was on the sofa, I was tired. It had been a, it's been a, it's been a, it has for all of us a long term, and it's been busy, and, uh, and, uh, the last thing I wanted to do was to drag myself off the sofa and come out again. But, you know, I'm so glad that I did. Because here, being with the people of God, worshipping, singing, praying, hearing the words, again, a sense of the presence of God filled me, lifted me up. There's a power in praying together. There's a power in singing together. And this joy that we experience together, it's mutually reinforcing. So let's come back to that little question about what John is writing. We write this to make our or your joy complete. In your Bibles, you'll see there's a little A by the word our. And in some manuscripts, it says your. Which is it? Is it John writing, we write this to make our joy complete? Or is it John writing, we write this to make your joy complete? When I went to Bible college, I had a tutor who was terribly anxious and worried about this. Is it our? Is it your? Is it your? Is it our? Some manuscripts say yours, some manuscripts say our. Which should it be? Of course, he, he was teaching in a Bible college, but he completely missed the point. The point is that it's, it's the same thing, because when John writes, we're writing this, I'm writing this to make our joy complete. His joy is their joy, and their joy is, his joy is their joy. Your joy is our joy. Our joy is your joy. When we're together, And you're enjoying the presence of God. I'm enjoying the presence of God. When I'm enjoying the presence of God, others are enjoying the presence of God. It's mutually reinforcing. We experience the joy of the Lord together. We experience joy most when we focus less in on myself and more out on others. This is what John says. We proclaim Jesus And we're brought into fellowship with one another and with God. Our gaze turns out from ourselves and towards others and towards the Lord. And we experience joy. There's actually a a joy in self-forgetfulness. Often when we're least happy is when we're most self-absorbed. Often it's when we're absorbed in something outside ourselves that we find the most happiness. For me, this is summed up in three C's. The first is creation. It's when you step into the created world and you get a sense of, creation, uh, of a connection with the creator. Now, for some people, depending on your temperament, this will have a different resonance. For me, this is particularly powerful. I have a high kind of emotional need to be out in the, in the natural world. And if you go down to the beach, or you go down to the Purbeck Hills, for me, often, it's that sense of being in the creation of God. That's when I do... I stop thinking about myself, and I start thinking about how beautiful this is. And as I'm thinking about that, I start getting drawn towards the one who made it. And the less I think about myself, actually, the more happy I am. It's amazing. The second C, you don't think it's amazing, do you, Grace? The less you, anybody thinks of me, the more happier they'll be. Uh, the, the second C is creativity, that God is a creator, and he's made us in his own image, image to be creative as well. And often it's when you're 
involved in something creative that you forget yourself, but you're most absorbed and you're actually most happy. And for different people, it's all kinds of different expressions of creativity. For some, it'll be writing a poem. For some, it'll be baking a cake. For some, it'll be painting a picture. For some, it'll be playing a song. For some, it'll be tinkering with a car. But you get involved in something creative and you actually stop thinking about yourself. You'll be thinking about this thing and you find happiness. And the third C, and the one we're thinking about particularly today, is community. It's when we get into community, it's when we start thinking about other people, it's when we're with friends, when we're worshipping with our brothers and sisters, and we're not, we stop thinking about ourselves, and we're just aware of these people who we love and are enjoying being with, actually that's when I feel the happiest. And the moment you kind of turn it back in in yourself, the moment you start to try and analyze it and think about this happiness, this joy, when you stop looking at the view and start thinking about yourself, when you stop thinking about the thing you've got your hands in and you start feeling, thinking about your own emotions, you stop thinking about the people that you're with and turn it in yourself, joy kind of escapes, it slides away. There's a joy in self-forgetfulness and divine joy is made complete in the Christian community. It's when we're together as the brothers and sisters of Christ in Christ, and we stop thinking about ourselves so much and enjoy the presence of God in the presence of God's people, there we find the completeness of God's joy. Second thing is that divine love is made complete in the Christian community. Love does have to be worked out in community. Love for God only becomes complete when we love other people. Love for God isn't anything until it's worked out in some real, meaningful, practical, tangible way towards others. If you say, I love God, but you never express that towards people, it's nothing, it's hollow, it's a sham. The way really you experience and you display the love of God is through loving others. This is what John says, 1 John 4 verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is an extraordinary thing that John is saying. What he's saying is that it's through people like us that actually God is made visible. No one has ever seen God, but how do you, how do you see God? A God who can't be seen. The way that you see God is through God working in and through his people. It's through, this is almost overwhelming, it's a bit scary, it's through people like you and me that God can be seen. That's quite a tall order, that's amazing, but that's what scripture says. And this only happens if we love one another. The way that God is made visible, the way that God is seen in his people is by the love that God's people have for God and for one another and the way that they then demonstrate that. So we need to know the love of God and we enjoy God, when we receive love. And this means, oh, Liz, your Christmas decorations are falling down. This means that it's not only a case of it's better to give than to receive. And it is, actually, that scripture, Acts 20, 35, the apostle Paul says that, and he, he says he's quoting Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. But the reality is, you can't love others if you haven't received love yourself. 1 John 4, 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Look at the order of how that works. In order to love one another, you first have to receive the love of God. It's receiving the love of God that empowers you to love 
others. And the way that we normally receive the love of God is through God's people. It's again one of these circles, these virtuous circles. You receive love from God through his people, which enables you to love God, which enables more of the love of God to be received, which enables more of the love of God's people to be expressed. And round and round it goes. And we're all looking for love. Everyone is looking for love. And the place to find love is in God's. Just read a book by a guy called Beckett Cook, A Change of Affection, it's called. He's a, he's a gay guy who um, lived a very glamorous life in Hollywood, in the fashion industry, still works in that industry uh, some of the time. But he had a radical encounter with Jesus about 10 years ago, which caused him to walk away from his uh, gay lifestyle and to uh, abandon the boyfriends and to live a life as a celibate man. And he says in here, one of the things he's most often asked is, aren't you lonely? Now that you haven't got your boyfriends, now that you're not having sex, aren't you lonely? And the way that he answers that question is like this. I'm not alone because I'm part of a family of fellow believers. I'm part of the body of Christ. When I was saved, I became a member of this new spiritual family in which we encourage one another and bear each other's burdens. Whenever I'm struggling with anything, I simply reach out to one of my brothers or sisters in Christ and ask for help and prayer. I feel buoyed by the amazing group of Christians God has put in my life. In order to receive, often we have to ask. So what Becca Cook says, I simply reach out to one of my brothers or sisters in Christ and ask. Now the trouble with this, this sometimes in my experience get a little bit twisted. If we come to that place where we think that our brothers and sisters in Christ should be fixing every one of our problems. And that's just unrealistic. There's no human being who can fix all your problems. The Lord himself can do that. But when we're in need, we can reach out and ask for help. We can ask for prayer. We can experience, as Beckett Cook does, a sense of being buoyed up by the amazing group of Christians that God has put in your life. And this means that we shouldn't stay quiet when we are in need. If you're in need, ask. Because we enjoy God when we receive the love of God. And the way we receive is by asking. But we also enjoy God when we give love. And that's because, yes, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I'm sure that you know this from experience. I hope you know this from experience, that often it is that moment of generosity. It's that moment of giving where suddenly I find, hey, this, I'm feeling so much better. I'm feeling so much happier. I'm, ex I'm experiencing blessing because I have given something away. And that often involves a cost. Actually, if... If it doesn't cost you anything, it's not really being generous. If it costs you, really, financially or emotionally or in your time or efforts, that's costly. But again and again, my experience has been that doing that thing which feels hard actually then is so life-giving. It is, Jesus said it, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It just is. Tim Chester says this, and I'd like you to really think about this as I read it out, do, it, do what he suggests. Try this thought experiment. Think about the Christians you know who are most preoccupied with their own needs and desires. Give you a moment to think 
who that might be, might even be you. (laughs) And think about the Christians you know who are unhappy, because you probably do know some Christians who are unhappy. I suspect you'll find a big overlap. Now list the Christians you know who think about others the most. I suspect you'll find they're among the happiest Christians you know. It's counterintuitive, but the more you deny yourself to love others, the more joy you experience. Now, it's not a simple mathematical equation. It doesn't always work quite like that, but I think as a general principle, it's true. The more that we think about others, the more that we deny ourselves to love others, the more joy we ourselves experience. Think about Mick Gregory who died just over a week ago. Many of us are still kind of reeling from his uh, death. You're uh, struggling to keep up with me there, Chris. Onto the pic- there should be a picture of Mick. There's Mick getting the uh, uh, Golden Plunger Award at our volunteers' party a few months ago. And that was a kind of a joke because he was always having his hands down the drain. But actually, also, it was deadly serious because... If there was muck that somebody needed to get their hands in and scoop out, Mick was your man. And Mick was one of the happiest Christians who we had at Gateway Church. And he was about the most servingest of Christians that we had at Gateway Church. He met Jesus 10 or 12 years ago. I saw Gina Sweets talk about his funeral. She said that he was a bitter man. He met Jesus and he became a happy man. And that happiness was expressed and multiplied because of the way that he served others. If you asked for help, if he could possibly help, Mick would help. Got the golden plunger because of the way he helped people. It's this counterintuitive thing. The more you deny yourself to love others, the more joy you experience. That's what Mick was like. Now, we enjoy God's when we give love. And the good news is that we, we can do that right now. We're about to break bread together. If you break bread together, you can give love. You can pray for someone. You can ask for prayer. Hey, I need to be buoyed up. I'm feeling cast down. I need to be buoyed up. I need one of my brothers or sisters to pray for me. You can ask for that. We can talk together and We get to worship together. We're going to come back into worship. And as we worship, we can enjoy the presence of God as we enjoy fellowship with each other. And so this day and this election week and this Christmas time and this end of the year when everybody's had man flu and is feeling rubbish and tired. And as we enter into 2020, let's proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's know fellowship with him and with one another and let's experience together the joy of the Lord. Amen. Let's stand together and I'll pray and then we'll come back into worship. Let's reach out to the Lord together. Jesus, thank you for this wonderful, wonderful message that we proclaim you. And as we proclaim you, we have fellowship with each other. And we have fellowship with you and with your Father. And as we do this, we experience joy. And I pray that we know this virtuous circle of love and of joy, of fellowship, of
proclamation. I pray, Jesus, I pray for Gateway Church. pray this Christmas time. I pray the next couple of weeks with the different events we've got going on. I pray that our joy in the Lord would be seen by the world around us. And Lord, this week where there's so much cynicism and uh, anxiety and despondency and all that would be multiplied, I'm sure, in, on Friday morning uh, for one side or the other. Lord, I pray that the people of God, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, that we would know the joy of the Lord, the glory, the, 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 the delight of fellowship with you and with each other, and we would proclaim and make known Jesus, our wonderful Savior. Lord, I pray for those here this morning who need to know the love of God and the joy of God. I pray that, Lord, you would lift up those who feel cast down. I pray that those who are struggling would have the courage to reach out and ask for help, ask for prayer, and Lord, in your mercy and your grace, you'd minister through us, through one another, to one another, that we might speak faith and encouragement to each other. We might build each other up in our faith. We might help one another to know the joy of the Lord. This I ask, Jesus, for your glory and in your name. Amen. Let's worship him.